it is me i am back for a brand new episode of the writer's block thank you to everybody for tuning in once again you guys are the ones you are the real ones who make muddied waters media possible because if it weren't for you i would not be doing this on a thursday night um thank you thank you thank you i do appreciate each and every one of you uh if you could do me a favor no matter where you are if you are on youtube if you are on float if you are on twitter if you are on facebook if you are on any of the social media platforms Share this with everybody. Make sure you comment. Make sure you share, 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 share. And no matter what, hit the bell. If there is a bell, hit the subscribe, hit the bell, hit the follow, hit the whatever button they have, hit it. Because we're in a war against big tech people, and that's the only way we're going to win. Either that or that's how we get noticed enough to not be in the war anymore because we'll be booted out. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Truly, you guys humble me every single week. First and foremost, I would like to thank the wonderful and kind people at siestacava.com that I am, for the cava that I am drinking today. Siestacava.com, they have what you need for all of your cava needs. Uh, to them and to everybody else that's a sponsor of the show, Bula Vinaka. This episode is brought to you by the my guest is going to laugh because he saw that I just did this to all of them. Um, the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, uh, the fastest growing waffle related caucus in the entire universe, at least in this universe. I don't know about the multiverse. There might be a Waffle House Caucus, a waffle related caucus in another 
universe in the multiverse that is just exponentially bigger. Um, if you want to become a voting member, if you want to become a member of the Waffle House Caucus, all you have to do is go to muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store and you can pick up a button and that will make you a member. And if you want to become a voting member, buy a shirt. Buy a shirt. This episode is also brought to you by the most aptly named product for this podcast group, this organization that we are in, Mudwater Coffee Alternative. Uh, it is, it's not bad. It's good. I like it. I like it. You throw a little honey in it. You mix it up. You stir it really good. You use their little whipper thingy to stir it all up and make it uh, froth it up. It's quite tasty. Uh, masala chai, or as Spike says, mahala, masala chai. Uh, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that is it. Visit muddiedwatersmedia.com slash mud to make the switch today. This episode is also brought to you by the Gravy King. And the Gravy King is one of those people that truly enjoys our next sponsor, Nug-O Knowledge. Nug-O Knowledge, because we sell in smokables, y'all. Uh, Nug-O Knowledge is CBD um, from very fine people who take proceeds uh, of their profits and help uh, fight the war on drugs and also help out veterans who need the help. Um, and apparently that green one, that green one down there in the lower left, that one is, uh, that one's weed. Um, that one's just basically weed. But uh, so, you know, enjoy that. It's going to make you feel good. Uh, and this episode is brought to you by Joe Soloski for Pennsylvania governor. He is the key to Pennsylvania success. Joe Soloski, everybody, Joe Soloski dot com uh again thank you all for being here um <laughs> thank you all for being here uh and i am being told right now that we will have a new sponsor next week i don't know who this is but i am very excited personally uh but i'm very very excited about this um but to everybody, thank you for watching. Uh, thank you for tuning in tonight. And I am very excited to have my next guest on. He is currently the LP candidate for governor of Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome with me, Scott Sluter. What is hey, man. Hey, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'm glad that you took time out of your busy day to do this. I know that uh, you are a massively a uh, busy man and to just want to spend a little bit of time with me on a Thursday evening instead of watching a rerun of the mask singer. I, I appreciate that. That means a lot. I, I always have time for my fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, first I had the small elephant in the room. Um, a few years ago, you showed up on Arvin Vora's, podcast and you completely busted his balls on his show and i just want to make sure we're not going to have like some similar kind of exchange <laughs> uh that's not in the plan but i mean we'll see where it goes that's fair that's fair i have no idea how this is gonna go i may do it to you and that would just be rude to do to a guest in your own home um so i have to ask somebody gave me that information uh shortly before the show um, what, what happened? Uh, Arvin had been on a, uh, very Arvin-esque tirade, uh, which, you know, about the military industrial complex right. and military recruitment, which we can all agree with his, his points on. And I, I certainly agree. Um, but he was specifically targeting 
veterans within the libertarian community that are doing work and being candidates, filling positions, you know, volunteering, doing all of this, these good things for liberty, and he's specifically targeting them and calling them names, calling them murderers, you know, whatever, what have you. And as, as a potential candidate at the time when he asked me to be on or when I was asked to be on, um, I just thought it was important to kind of take him to task and, and let him know exactly what his message was doing, which was making my job, not only my job harder, but making it harder to recruit veterans, which was the biggest uh, supporter block for Gary Johnson at the time. Right. And it, it really just was a detriment to the party from the position of the vice chair. And yep. I, I thought it was just completely unbecoming of that position. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, re I actually, I was uh, campaigning that, that uh, cycle for, I don't remember who I was campaigning for, but it was a libertarian. I, I, and if it's who I'm thinking of, he was running for, uh, he was running for Congress here in Florida. And um, I was going door to door. I was, I was knocking doors, you know, grassrootsing it all the way, trying to get the word of this guy out. And, I went to multiple houses and, you know, I knock on the door. I'm like, hi, my name's Matt. I'm here campaigning for the libertarian candidate for Congress and blah, blah, blah. And uh, multiple people looked at me and they said, didn't your party, didn't the vice chair just say that all members of the military are murderers? And this is what kind of made it a little bit sad and showed a little bit of my uh, Stockholm syndrome was uh, when they said that, my first immediate reaction was, Oh, they've heard of us. <laughs> Half my battle's done. Now I have to defend this or say, oh, we don't all agree with him or whatever, but they at least know who we are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, very happy about that. Uh, so, um, usually how I start out a show, as opposed to asking them stuff like that, uh, is how did you become a libertarian? Like, was it like a big aha moment or was it a, you were kind of always one and just kind of gradually grew into it kind of a thing? Um, Ron Paul was a big part of it. Sure. I was, uh, in my last year of my contract in the military, in the air force and, some friends and family, you know, were sharing Ron Paul videos and stuff. And I started watching them, started reading a little bit. Um, my uncle Danny, uh, Danny Bedwell from Mississippi, he uh, kind of started talking to me a little bit and kind of mentoring me into the party and, and that sort of thing. And the more I read and the more I just immersed myself into what the Libertarian Party was, I realized, like, this is who I am. This is who I've always been. I just didn't know there was a name for it. Right. So it's kind of just been all downhill from there with just volunteering for way too many things and <laughs> taking up way too much time to do all this stuff. I like how, like, libertarians, I mean, one, libertarians don't have money. Um, not the people in the party, but just the party as a whole, especially, like, local affiliates. But the people who are really dedicated to the cause, they are the hardest working people in politics because they do it for free. They do it for free. They will go out here in Florida anyway. Um, I'm not sure if you guys deal with summers in Illinois, but um, here in Florida, <laughs> here in Florida, in a hundred plus degree heat, going door to door, talking about some candidate that 
most of the time the people on the other side of that door have never heard of and just going, yeah, I'd just like to talk to you about, you know, my candidate, Spike Cohen, and, you know, why he's running for, I'm not even going to say president because I don't want people to think that that's like a fake announcement, but... Um, <laughs> I, I am here to announce that Spike Cohen is running for president. <laughs> I am announcing for him today. Uh, that, that Sasha's spouse is running for president. Right. Um, but yeah, like most of the time they hadn't even heard of my candidate and I'm still willing to go, you know, I was willing to go door to door, go and just try to spread that message as best as I can. And I found so many libertarians are that way. You even see it where libertarians will join and they'll immediately get involved in their local affiliates and, They'll start uh, going to the meetings and then they'll join the different committees and get involved in the state in the state level. And it's all for free. And they are some of the hardest working people in politics because they have to be. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, I'm in it for the fame. Right. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I met so many celebrities since I started my my local affiliate in a town of like 20,000. Right. <laughs> I actually, I met more celebrities before I became like a full-fledged libertarian. I was like, yeah, I'm a libertarian, but I don't really, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to vote for the libertarian candidate if I like him, I guess. I don't know. And, right. and then I was meeting celebrities all the time back then. And then I was like, I'm going to become full-fledged. I'm going to be really hardcore into this. And then, no, none. Not one. <laughs> Not yeah, one. yeah. Once you uh, put that title on, they're like, "Oh well." <laughs> they're like, "Oh, I don't want to hang out with a libertarian." If you're a Republican, maybe like still, uh, but no, not a libertarian. You nuts. Um, <laughs> so uh, when you were in the Air Force, uh, you were ironically a bomb maker. Yeah, yeah. I was a ammo troop. I built bombs. I handled explosives. You know. TNT, C4, bullets, grenades, uh, chaff and flare for aircraft, just about anything. With any sort of munitions in it, I had my hands on. And at what point did you become, you, you were in the Air Force, you were ammunitions, but I know that you are massively, you are a massive anti-war advocate. Yes. So at, was it that way when you were in the military, or did it kind of switch? Was it after... Was there some something that happened that made you be decide that you didn't want to be a part of this or that you didn't want to see it in the world anymore? Or was it just something you always were and you did the military for college money? I don't know. Um, I don't know that there was a specific, like, defining moment. I think it was as I matured, uh, both, you know, as a uh, troop and just as a person, as a man, um, you know, just kind of, evolved my way of thinking and, and started, you know, thinking more into it other than just do what you're told. Um, I know kind of when I was in Iraq, I, I uh, had a situation where I was searching vehicles and, and we would search them for explosives, weapons, whatever. They'd go past us and they'd go through a big x-ray machine. And it wasn't until that x-ray machine found you know, a, a truck loaded with explosives, I mean, lined the walls completely hidden, that I realized how much more expendable I was than that machine and how little they valued uh, our, our soldiers' lives. And that kind of was an eye-opener <laughs> a little bit. And uh, it just, 
from there, it was just kind of, I don't know. Like I said, it evolved, matured, that kind of thing. Right. I um, So this is a story I don't tell ever. Um, I was in the Army when I was young, and I got to try to figure out how to tell this story without dating me. But <laughs> let's just say at the time, wasn't a huge need for people in the military. And um, I, I, I ended up joining, uh, I ended up joining the army and I did a split, a deferred entry. And they, um, they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I want to drive boats for the army because that makes sense. Sure. That's what, yeah. that's what happens when 17 year olders sign up for the army. Um, but they, uh, so they brought me in and for a year I was in a reserve camp um, driving boats up and down the Potomac in Virginia, D.C. And I went to basic, came back, was doing the driving of the boats, and then they never sent me to AIT. And so they just never did. Like, I kept waiting for my orders, and I kept waiting for my orders, and they never came. And then my uh, recruiter said, don't worry about it. We're going to get it figured out. Just sit at home and wait for us to call you. And then they never did. And then one day I just got noticed that I was no longer in the military. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, wow, neat. Lucky you. My entire division went to Iraq and they were the, because we were medium sized transportation boats and we drove ammo up and down the rivers in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Many of my unit did not come back. Lucky you. Yeah. yeah. So. Some somebody something somewhere out there was like, just don't give him his orders. He needs to talk about liberty on the internet years from now. <laughs> um, but yeah, yes, exactly. The boating accident. That was the boating accident in which I lost all of my firearms. And uh, sure. yes, which is why I own no firearms. I was uh, also in that exact same boating accident in Iraq. Yeah, I remember those. I remember that. I absolutely, because you were, because there was that guy that was there and he goes, oh no, Matt Wright and Scott Sluder lost all of their guns in this boating accident here in Iraq on this date in, in 2005. And, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so back then when I joined, I was actually kind of pro-war and it wasn't until later after after I saw, you know, the Afghanistan war wasn't going to come to an end and the Iraq war was not going to come to any significant end and it was just going to continue drawing on that. I was like, why are we doing this? This makes no sense. Why do we continue going into these areas? And I know that you spent time in Afghanistan, correct? Uh, I, Iraq. Iraq. Afghanistan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I spelled that wrong here. I spelled it like Afghanistan. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, basically the same word. Um, and so while you were over there, you were building the munitions and uh, all that, correct? Uh, actually, when I was over there, I was working with uh, security forces, um, doing searches and uh, providing perimeter defense and that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, searching, no searching vehicles, that sort of thing. Gotcha. And I know, I know that you, uh, obviously, like many people in the Libertarian Party, you uh, have a huge uh, issue with the military-industrial complex, understandably, but what, what's your take on it? Uh, I mean, my take on it is we, we've got so many 
homeless people, you know, homeless veterans, homeless citizens, and all, all of these issues at home that we are just exporting to future generations uh, for their taxes. And we're just going into de debt just repeatedly, and it's never going to be caught up. Uh, and we're spending all these billions of dollars overseas. We're sending my brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters, to die overseas for the benefit of, you know, a few elite people that deemed it necessary. And it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we're, we're, we're peddling lives uh, for the benefit of nobody but the elite. I mean, the American people are not benefiting anything. No. And besides just, you know, the benefit analysis of it, I mean, it's just completely immoral and, and just horrible that not, not only, you know, American citizens that are dying, but the men, women, and children that we're killing overseas that are doing nothing but trying to defend their own homes or that are just walking down the street and having to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And it's something that our founders warned us against. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things, you know, George Washington never wanted us to become an interventionist nation. And it wasn't until, you know, the uh, early 20th century, mid 20th century that we started becoming that way. And it was after World War II that we started injecting ourselves in area after area after area, popping up new bases, new military bases all over the country. I think we're in, what, 87 countries across the world right now? I think yeah. something like that. James Madison said, you know, if tyranny and oppression come to this land, it'll be under the guise of fighting a foreign enemy. Yeah. I may have butchered the quote a little bit, but I think that's close. Yeah, it's close enough. I. I know the quote, but I don't have it memorized, and that was, eh, you know, paraphrased. Um, now, uh, so after you got out and you went back to Illinois, um, you started, that was when you kind of started doing your activism, like you said, and I know that you've done a ton of work in ballot access. Um, I know you've done a ton of work in ballot access uh, in the state of Illinois. Can you uh, tell me a little bit about some of your experiences in doing that? Uh, yeah, for... I think a little over four years, I was the political director for the state. Um, you know, I was in charge of the political division, uh, running campaigns statewide, and, you know, just helping out candidates, doing whatever we could do, and, as you said, uh, the ballot access fight. Right. And, and as you know, you know, in a lot of states, ballot access for third parties is just completely unreasonable. Um, I, I think Illinois is one of the worst states in that regard, I mean, we have to, for our statewide slate, you know, for the governor race, um, established parties, which are Republicans and Democrats, uh, are required to get 5,000 petition signatures to get on the ballot. The requirement for a third party or a new party is 25,000, uh, which will immediately be challenged, fought in court, and they will go through line by line, every single signature, and try to discount as many as possible. And so we routinely so, get upwards of 50,000 every single election year just to make sure that they can't throw out enough to uh, kick us off the ballot. And we spend way too much money doing that that could otherwise be used for actual campaigning and actually right. getting our message out there to the voters, and it's just disgusting. So are you telling me that the state of Illinois does something underhanded in politics. Oh my God. It's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? 
It's unheard of. It's, I cannot <laughs> believe that a squeaky clean, moral, corrupt, free state like Illinois would do something completely underhanded in politics. I, I know. It's, it, it really blew my mind when I learned. It's, wow. You know, other than that, we're, we're just a real stand-up uh, state. It's, I have a T-shirt uh, that has a picture of Blagojevich and, and Ryan, and it says, Illinois, I have them behind bars, because Illinois, where governors make our license plates. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cheaper than paying them the governor's salary. Um, yeah, you guys have had, like, four governors. You either have four governors who have been in prison recently or four that are in prison right now, four former governors. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> They're not all still in prison. Uh, Blagojevich got commuted, and but that was a, a Trump thing. Right. Uh, yeah. He had dirt on somebody, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't too long ago that I learned where the nickname the Windy City came from. Because I always thought that it came from, you know, the fact that it's windy. And, you know, the wind coming off of the lake. That's right there. Um I should know which lake that is, but I'm terrible at American geography. And, uh, but it, I always thought that that's where that came from. And then I found out later, not that long ago, that it's because the politicians in Chicago would blow hot air all the time. And they started calling it the Windy City because of all the hot air that the politicians were blowing. And I don't, thought, don't get me started on uh, Jamie Prisker's hot air. It comes from a different area. Right. <laughs> Um, so you're currently, uh, running to be the governor of Illinois. So you're running to be the fifth governor to go to prison. And, (laughs) but before, uh, before we get into your campaign, uh, you had two, uh, two campaigns before this, both of them for state house. Uh, yes. In, uh, 2016 and 2018, I ran, or, uh, no, 2016, 2020, I ran for, uh, state representative. Um, the 2016 race was more serious than the 2020 race. Uh, 2020, essentially, we got a court order because of COVID that our ballot access restrictions were uh, lowered by a significant amount. And so kind of at the last minute, I just decided I'll try to get some signatures real quick and see if I can get on the ballot. <laughs> uh, the 2016 race, though, was was... A lot of fun. We did a lot of work, had a great campaign team. And, uh, I mean, I, I've still, you know, occasionally get people that recognize me just from that campaign and, you know, built a lot of contacts, a lot of, uh, met a lot of people. It was, it was a good time. Nice. Now, both of these campaigns ended the same way though, didn't they? They sure did. I got, uh, I got kicked off the ballot in both of them. And, uh, in 16 was more, devastating than in 20 because i mean i I really worked i gathered uh around five or six hundred signatures more than was required and i had a team of probably 14 15 people at the state board of elections going through every single signature line by line and i mean they're invalidating them for just the most ridiculous thing that you can find and they invalidated over a thousand signatures that were legitimate signatures, but just somebody had moved and wrote their new address instead of their old address and had never updated their voter registration. You know, somebody 
goes by their middle name and wrote that instead of their first name or just, I mean, you know, whatever technicality they could find. Right. And, uh, yeah, so they ended up invalidating over a thousand signatures and I spent probably the next two months, um, at the state board of election fighting, going to hearings, uh, you know, submitting different appeals and motions and everything, trying to get that overturned to no avail. And that was the 16? Yeah. Okay. What happened in, what happened in 20? Why was it a similar situation? Uh, I, I didn't even get enough signatures in 20. It, it was okay. a last minute thing. And, and with COVID and everything, I just, I didn't, okay. didn't get enough. So I didn't even bother fighting it, obviously. Fair. All right. Yeah. I would, I just knew that they both kind of ended the same way, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure on how underhanded the second one was. Um, Cause I knew it happened in 2020. Um, yeah. And you know, anything that happened last year that it doesn't really count. It doesn't really count. Unless you're Spike Cohen, in which case, yeah, it counts. You ran for VP. But other than that, it doesn't count. Um, like the 13th floor in hotels. Yeah, it doesn't exist. It just doesn't. never happens. It never happened. Um, Connor uh, Cudmore in the comments said, I think you'd do awesome in prison, too. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and so from what I understand for this, uh, for this election, for this, uh, campaign, you have assembled the best campaign team ever. I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. We've got uh, a lot of great people, some of whom I'm sure, you know, probably, uh, and, and we're just really trying to be very professional and organized and, and run this thing like, you know, something the party's never seen before, or certainly the state of Illinois. We want to be, I mean, just, I, I want to break every single record, every single record for, for third party vote totals, uh, percentage. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get ballot access. We're going to hit that magic 5% number and blow it out of the water. Uh, and I'm going to win. I, I'm obviously rooting for you. Otherwise, why would I bring you on here? Um, but <laughs> But uh, so first day in, you know, you, you, you get elected to governor. What, what's the first thing you're doing? Opening a beer in the governor's office. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the second thing I'm doing is going through every single executive order and figuring out how I can countermand all, all of the any liberty restricting executive order. Um, after that. Uh, the state police are under the executive branch. I'm going to start looking into uh, appointing a director for the state police uh, that will rein them in a little bit. And I mean, uh, we we were going to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to prohibit the state police from pulling anybody over or doing anything on uh, county or local roads. All that they're there for is state state highways. Um, I'd like to prohibit the state police from enforcing FOID card laws, and uh, from enforcing you know, from enforcing what? For, the FOID card is our firearms uh, owner's identification. Okay, card. I was like, I I, I don't know Gun what. Permit. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, we're one of the most restricted states for firearms in the country, and as governor, really, I, I Illinois do, is one of the most know, restrictive I, I states. Can't write the laws, but I can do a little bit to to fight that. I would have never guessed Illinois was one of the most restrictive states with the anarcho-capitalist style 
gun laws they have in Chicago. Yeah. Because I'm assuming there are none in Chicago. There are zero gun laws in Chicago. Right, because if there were, they'd be working. Right, because there wouldn't be any guns in Chicago, and we all know Chicago has guns, so obviously there's no gun laws. Right, right. If if there was, there wouldn't be any violence. Everybody would just be eating cotton candy together. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The, the, The White Sox fans and the Cubs fans are just sitting together having... That beer that they have in Chicago that I don't remember because I quit drinking seven years ago. <laughs> Old style? Old style? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, the White Sox fans and the Cubs fans, they get along just perfectly. Um, so I don't... I'm not educated on this, but the I don't know how the COVID stuff's going in Chicago and sorry in Illinois, not just Chicago. There's more to that state, um, but I don't know how the COVID stuff is going in Illinois. Um, did you guys deal with a lot of lockdowns? Did you have a lot of shut like mask mandates, all that? Yeah, it's been very very restrictive. One of the more uh, restricted states in the country. Um, the governor has just, you know, fancies himself a king and has just issued royal royal decrees left and right. You know, the, the Illinois Constitution gives him authority to issue a 30-day executive order, and we're quite a bit past that 30 <laughs> days, and it just, he just keeps doing it over and over. And, you know, the, the, the way that I would handle it is to just give people the information, give, give people the science let them know, hey, there is a dangerous disease. This, these are some recommendations that we have for you. These are some, you know, guidelines we would like for you to follow. And in, instead of withholding information and, and trying to force people to act the way we should, which as Americans we are just automatically a rebellious bunch by and large, and and we, we don't take well to being commanded or. Uh, given royal decrees, and Accurate. I think that the best method would be just give us the information and let us make responsible decisions as consenting adults. So I'm here in Florida, and we basically didn't have a lockdown um, at a state level. The the counties and cities, they had their own that they did, but as a state, we we had one for like 30 days, and other than that, when DeSantis, Governor DeSantis came out and he ended the lockdown, everybody was like, you're killing Floridans, you're going to kill us all, we're all going to die. And uh, we've fared better than like every other state, um, than every other state out there. Uh, you know, Michigan's numbers continue to grow. And I was actually having a conversation with somebody earlier today, uh, and she was talking about how Michigan should have never ended their lockdown because their numbers are just skyrocketing right now. I'm like, yeah, they ended their lockdown, but they still have all the same regulations in place that they had in the lockdown. The only thing that's different is you can leave your house to go to the grocery store, but you have to wear a mask inside and out. You have to wear a mask inside any business. So the only place you don't have to wear a mask is uh, in your car if nobody is in it with you or in your house, and that's it. Like, you still can't. Wow. And so I don't know how restrictive Illinois was, is, who, I don't know where you're at on that spectrum, but, but, Sorry, go ahead. no, no, you're fine. But if you're, 
if you're still seeing the lockdowns, like are, no, are numbers still going up for you guys? Uh, no, they're they're significantly lower than okay. before in the past. Um, I know for my region, Southern Illinois, uh, I think we're at about a 1.5% uh, positivity rate. Uh, so, so pretty, pretty low. And the lockdowns have been eased up quite a bit at this point. Um, some some restaurants are have been able to open. You have to wear a mask when you walk in, and a mask when you're interacting with the waitress. But then you can take it off and sit there and eat, um, which is a little silly, but whatever. Uh, I, I, I liked uh, my favorite part was when you you weren't they weren't allowed to have people eat inside unless they brought the inside outside. Right. So they put up a fully enclosed tent. I mean, completely enclosed and just stuffed a bunch of people in there because somehow that's safer. That yeah, that makes com- completely nonsensical regulations. Right. That I know that Kentucky was kind of going through something very similar to that. Um, we had uh, the guys from uh, Brewed Coffee in, Le- in Louisville, Lexington, Lexington, came on the show and they were talking about it. And they had garage doors and they would open the garage doors a little bit. And they were like, no, this counts as outside. But if they had put a tent on the outside that was all the way down, the, that, would, that would have been fine. And he's like, What's the, what is the difference here? Um, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, in, in Illinois, like 35%, at, you know, a year later, 35% of our small businesses are still closed. Right. And that's people's livelihoods. Half a million people out completely out of work for the last year. You know, there, there's no way to keep that up. There's no way to rationalize that to me. Um, it's just, it's insane. It's in a state that we already had thousands of people moving out every day due to our taxation. And we just decided to, let's just double up on that and make it even worse. But if... If Illinois has a lot of taxation, you must not have any debt. <laughs> oh, if that were only true. <laughs> if that whole Ponzi scheme worked. Right. <laughs> um, and the like the biggest thing that COVID that has happened during COVID, besides, you know, the utter dismantling of our individual freedoms, uh, outside of that, outside of that minor little thing that most people don't seem to care about, uh, the fact that so many small businesses are closing and the ones that are being able to stay open and the ones that are being able to survive are the bigger ones. Even still, the fact that they have now started, uh, they've gotten people kind of used to a UBI of sorts with the unemployment that the federal government's giving out and that they're, uh, they've increased it, uh, unemployment in the states. And people have gotten kind of used to, oh, I don't actually have to do any work and I'm just going to get this money. And... I know that it's an issue here. I'm maybe an issue in Illinois, but there are people who could go back to work because there are places hiring literally everywhere. You can see signs for them everywhere, but people won't try to get the jobs because they want to continue getting the, the free government money in order to just keep getting their checks so they don't have to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I've seen people that, uh, let's see, let's not get specific here. Uh, that were asked, you know, to go back to work, asked to resume their positions, and basically, you know, said that they were afraid of getting COVID or they they wanted to be responsible, this and that. And then, you know, they're posting on Facebook at events without the people. 
and it's like, okay, so no, you just want that that paycheck, and you right. don't want to have to work for it. Exactly. So here, I live in the uh, Tampa Bay area, and the Super Bowl was here in Tampa Bay, um, and Tampa, the the Bucks, they won. For anybody who's not a sports fan out there. Uh, sorry, spoilers. If you're going to go back and watch all of them, I'm not a Bucks fan, but you know, they won. Um, but so the Bucks won. Tampa was packed with people, not following any social distancing guidelines, not following any ma- mask mandates, flooding in and out of restaurants, flooding in and out of bars, partying in the streets. It was uh, it was a wild time. It was fun, even for somebody who like me is now sober. That was a good time. Um, And, like, we didn't see any massive uptick. We didn't really see any huge spread from what people said was certainly going to be the super spreader event of the season. And I don't see how... I mean, I do see because people don't want to see it, but how people can look at events like that and the fact that South Florida has been open forever and people have been going there congregating hanging out partying no social distancing and we haven't seen the same numbers as other places that have been doing the lockdowns have been enforcing the mandates and instead they're just trying to continually take your rights take the individual rights that you i everybody that's watching anybody who's not going to watch this show that we all possess and so many of americans are just like that's fine yeah and you know, some some of that could be from uh, the fact that a lot of that was outdoors. Um, well, I mean, you know, the coronavirus is a real thing. It's, it's not to it be is. taken lightly, but the government ma- government mandating all of these actions is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, like like you said, just just destroying all, all of our liberties one after another, and just conditioning us to just be used to uh, obeying, you know, just right. command and control governance. And it's completely opposite of what Americans are supposed to be or what we've been through our history and how we were founded. It's completely the opposite of, you know, the, the, the free spirit, the, the liberty, individual liberty-minded uh, people that, that we came from. And that's that has been the absolute biggest shocker that I have seen. Um, because like you said earlier, uh, Americans are rebellious. Like you tell us what to do. We're probably not going to do it. We're going to try to fight against that and do the opposite. It's who we've been since our inception. And when it came to this, every, like the vast majority of people kowtowed and they're like, okay, well, you know, whatever you say, if you say I need to stay at home for 15 days to slow the spread, or I need to stay at home for 15 days to slow the spread. Okay, 30 days. Okay, just until we get through summer, because that makes sense. Until uh, we get through summer. Okay, uh, once we get the vaccine, we'll be fine. Oh, well, we still have to wear the masks, and we still have to socially distance once we get the vaccine. But at least we can ha- hang out in groups of five. That is not what is core to Americans. Instead, we basically live how Tampa Bay and the rest of Florida have been doing it, where it's like, I'm going to go hang out with whoever I want to, whenever I want to. And the fact that, like, we 
I haven't really followed any of the social distancing guidelines or the mask mandates or anything like that. If I was going into a business and they said, you need to wear a mask, I would do it out of respect for the business. But outside of that, no. Um, and that made me more cautious. I was like, I don't know this person. I don't want to get within five feet of him. And it just kind of made me much more eerie on who I was around as opposed to just being unaware of my surroundings. And I feel as though most people would have been that way, but instead you gave them this false sense of security saying, see this mask that you probably haven't washed in a week? You just <laughs> wear that. Yeah. You wear that and you're going to just sail right through and you're going to be fine. And there's certainly something to be said for that. Yeah. And yeah, not to mention at the beginning, uh, when they were out there, everybody needs to wear masks. Okay. Now nobody needs to wear masks because unspecified reasons. And then a week later, well, we were running out of masks, so we had to make sure the nurses had them. Yep. So that's why we told you not to wear them, but now you need to wear them. Actually, you need to wear two. <laughs> and it's just this, back and forth of just bad information instead of just giving us the information giving us the science giving us some common sense guidelines and recommendations for how to conduct our business they came down with these mandates that were changed from day to day and it just completely eroded a lot of the trust in what they were saying right yeah because you're you're right at first it was like okay wear a mask okay don't wear a mask you don't need them you don't hey even Fauci, he was like, you don't really need to wear a mask. It's not important. And then later on, he goes, yeah, you need to wear a mask. And they're like, but not a cloth mask, because that's not going to do anything for you to, oh, it can be a cloth mask. It can be one of those neck gaiter things that yeah, literally have <laughs> zero protection whatsoever, except like even the sun is going, you're, you'll still get a sunburn right here <laughs> if you're wearing it. And, I mean, I understand that the information was evolving as we went. We we're learning new things about the virus. That, and I understand that. Um, but that's why you are just, you should have to be upfront and honest and just give the information instead of making mandates when you don't have completing information. Then, like I said, you just erode every bit of trust that you may have had, which for me and you, I'm sure was already very hard. To <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't have any in them at that point. So I had, yeah. I had less at this point. I had people um I had people coming up to me at the beginning of all this, like even before it really hit. Um, like last February ish. And they're like, This is gonna cause like three percent to five percent of the population is gonna die. And I was like, No, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> and they're like, Yes, that's gonna happen. And when it got here, they're like, see, told you. And I'm like, there, there are no numbers on this yet. And now I was like, like 99.7% of people who get it survive. It has a survival rate of 99.7%. Um, and if you get the vaccine, you have a 99.9% chance of surviving it. And if you, if you get the vaccine, you have a 0. 0.0001 chance of dying. Um, but and I'm like, not, I'm not anti-vax. I'm just anti everybody saying that this is something you need to do. Like you need to get this passport. You need to get, you need to get this passport. You need to get this vaccine. You need to make sure that uh, you're protecting everybody that's around you. Um, on passports, what's uh, Illinois' 
Uh, our current governor has come out in support of them. Uh, to my knowledge, he hasn't brought up any kind of legislation towards it, but he said that he would be in support of it were it brought across his desk. And he's in support of private businesses doing it. Okay. And, and would try to encourage them to do so. That, that actually makes a lot of sense for Illinois. Um... If I was governor, I would have the state police, which as previously noted, is a uh, department in the executive branch. I would have them use those as target practice. <laughs> just hang them up at the range. I mean, just <laughs> see if you can hit that. Pretend it's holding a gun. Um, or pretend it's not holding a gun and just say it is. Um, pretend it has an air freshener. Right. Um, so... I know that this happened in your state recently. Uh, Adam Toledo. He was a 13-year-old kid in Chicago who was shot by the police. Uh, and they said, oh, he had a gun in his hand. But then in the police body cam, he had his hands up when he was shot. And obviously, um, what would you do as governor? Training is key. Okay. Um, you know, when, when I was in Iraq, our rules of engagement were a lot, I mean, just infinitely stricter than what our police are operating under. And, I mean, obviously, it's, it's apples to oranges. It's not, you know, a, a, a good comparison. But, you know, when I'm over there actively having people fight me, actively having people wanting to kill me, uh, and I basically, I mean, almost have to write a letter to Congress asking them if I could return fire, uh, you know, and, and our, our police just, you know, have qualified immunity and they can just almost do whatever they want and get away with it. And it's, it's not necessarily a, a police issue. I mean, as far as the individual officers, it's, it's a policy issue. It is a training issue, you know, uh, We've got to have, we've got to do better. We have absolutely got to do better. And, you know, the, the any qualified immunity or immunity is a huge, huge step towards that. And I think that's, that's the biggest step is when an officer makes a terrible decision or makes a mistake or intentionally does something, they need to be held accountable for that. Absolutely. And just like any of us would. And I think that's a, a big first step, as you know, our libertarian congressman Justin Moss put his his bill forth. I was a big big proponent of that, and I think that's that's what uh, we should continue to pursue across the country. Uh, which Illinois actually passed something like that that we we have taken steps to to get better uh, as far as in that regard. Um, a, a, a big thing, you know, toward, towards that end is the war on drugs. We've yeah. got to end the war on drugs. You know, we, we have several generations of young black kids that are growing up in single family homes uh, where their mom or their dad is gone and the parent that's there is working three or four jobs and doesn't have any time to parent. They're basically raising them themselves. You know, you get a 14 year old black kid uh, has an opportunity doing whatever to let his mom get a break or to buy her a new pair of shoes for her waitressing job. And he's not really going to care what he has to do to do that. He's going to try to help his mom out. That's true. And, and 
you know, this is the type of stuff that we're forcing with this war on drugs. It's just got to end. We, we have got to stop this racist war on drugs from tearing apart our communities. 100% in agreement. The war on drugs is a, well, it's a travesty, and uh, drugs won. Um, drugs have definitely won that war. Um, Absolutely. But it, it's, it's a travesty, and it does absolutely 100% affect uh, minority and uh, impoverished areas much more than it does uh, middle class and higher neighborhoods, um, traditionally white neighborhoods, anything like, like any of those. Like it, it hurts minorities and the lower class much more than it would hurt anybody in a middle class or a traditionally white neighborhood. And when you see that kind of disparity, there's a problem. If it affected everybody equally, it's still like it's still a problem because drugs are basically a victimless crime. But it's still a problem. But it's not one you focus on as much. It's you want to get rid of it, but it's not okay. This is terrible. You're you're uh, locking up all of these minorities and all these uh, impoverished people while you're letting all of the people who can afford you know good lawyers off and for yeah. the for essentially the exact same crimes. Yeah, I mean if. if- if I get pulled over in Chicago with a little bit of weed, uh, by and large, I don't have to get worried, or I don't have to worry about getting shot. Right. Because I look like me. Right. I got pulled over and I got pulled over in D.C. once in uh, the the south side of D.C. Um, and I had something on me that was not legal, and like I was really worried. And the guy that was in the car with me, he said, "You don't have to worry." they are not taking you to jail here. <laughs> and that that calmed me just enough to get through that conversation. And I was told just yeah. to leave D.C. And I said, okay, no problem. And I did. And it's that kind of thing where nobody should have to worry about getting pulled over by the police once uh, if they have, you know, some weed or something else on them. Um because the crime isn't having it. The crime isn't doing it. The crime is if you hurt somebody while you're doing it, and then hurting the person actually becomes the crime because now you have infringed exactly. on the rights of somebody else. Exactly. As I said, uh, actually, the first time I was on Arvin Vore's podcast, we were talking about victimless crime, and uh, this was this was previous to everything blowing up. Right. Uh, <laughs> But we were talking about victimless crime, and, and what I said was, you know, if I want to sit on my couch and get baked out of my mind, the only victim is a bag of funyuns. Fair. Fair. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the people who really made out when I still did stuff like that were the uh, pizza delivery drivers. Those people <laughs> loved me because it was like every night, and I tipped huge at the time. Uh, <laughs> like, Thanks for coming. Here's 20 bucks. Um <laughs> Those were the early 2020 bucks too. Like those were actually worth much closer to actual $20. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you coming on. If people wanted to uh, find you, to follow you, to uh, support your campaign, what is the best way that they can? Uh, Right now, just uh, search Scott Sluter on uh, Facebook. I've got a page for my campaign and, uh, uh, the website will be up very soon, um, but it's at Scott Sluter for Governor. I've also got a Twitter. If you search for me, you can find me on there. Um, I'm, I've 
got an Instagram that's pretty empty right now, but we will be filling that up as well. So, you know, any of the major social media, you can probably find me if you just search my name. I was going to say, I, I know one of the people on your campaign. I'm certain that all of your social medias are going to be. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a, she's a doll. She, uh, and, and to clarify real quick, uh, I do not have the nomination yet, so I'm still running for the nomination. Right. You're, uh, you, you are a candidate for the nomination. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, uh, we, we here at Muddied Waters wish you all of the luck in the world in this campaign. Um, is there anything that you would like to say to the literal dozens of people watching this right now? Uh, live free or die. I actually have that tattooed right there. Um, <laughs> I saw it. Um, well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Facebook.com, Facebook.com slash Scott Sluter. That's C-S-C-H-L-U-T-E-R. Scott Sluter for governor. Uh, thank you for, so much for coming on. Uh, if you want to hang out for just a second, I will be back with you in just a moment. To everybody else, I probably should have turned off my sponsors. To everybody else, thank you, thank you, thank you. Next week, uh, this weekend, Scott, uh, not Scott, this week, uh, Spike is in Alaska uh, at the Alaskan Gold Rush event. Uh, you can find that on Facebook. Um, You'll be able to find that on Facebook, online places. Uh, so check him out over the weekend, and you can watch him get very excited over eating fresh salmon. Um, and next Tuesday, Spike and I will be back here on 420 for a very special episode of The Muddied Waters of Freedom at 8 o'clock. <laughs> Scott's still on right there. The face he made just then was great. Um for a very special episode of the Muddy Waters of Freedom at 8 o'clock Muddy Waters time uh, in Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, next Wednesday, Spike has... Hang on, I'm going to tell you in a second who Spike has on next Wednesday. Uh, that one. Next weekend, or next week, next Wednesday, Spike has Eric Peterson... Um, Eric Peterson on, and that will be airing at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. And then next Thursday, I have the wonderful, the talented, the lovely Jay Nygaard joining me on the writer's block next Thursday, 8 o'clock Eastern. Thank you all so much. Go to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters. You can leave Spike and me messages that we will play live on the air on Tuesdays. And you can find this in every other episode at muddiedwatersmedia.com. Thank you all so much for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for liking. Thank you for subscribing, hitting the bell, doing all of that stuff for all of that. I am Matt Wright, and you are perfect the way you are. Thank you all so much. Have a fantastic weekend, and we will see you next week. I am... I am swinging from a seven-story window, throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's astounding the legs I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am waving while I drown. Don't bother swimming out to save me. I will only drag you down. I'll try to use your body as a life raft. Cause if there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset. Sipping on a savory 
Hey. 